0: Well, for the last few years, we have been going verse by verse through the book of Mark. And we've been on again and off again and going through that sometimes on Wednesdays and sometimes on Sundays. And it's been quite a while since we've done this on a Sunday. But I love preaching through a book of the Bible because it makes us deal with scriptures we may have overlooked if we're always doing topical scripture. So we kind of go back and forth between verse by verse and topical. And so I've been looking forward to this particular message for quite some time out of Mark chapter eight. The message is called this, healing in a process, healing in a process. The reason why this is such an important message is that all of us either personally need a healing or we know someone who does need a healing. So this touches all of us. And either you're thinking about a situation right now in your own life, or someone you really care about. And healing is available. Healing is something that Jesus has for us. But the scripture we're going to look at today is a little different than some of the other healing scriptures. In fact, it's one of two stories in the book of Mark that are not found in Matthew or Luke or John. And what both of these stories have in common is this. Jesus took somebody away from the crowd and healed them privately. Most of the time, he healed in some kind of public forum. And what he healed the man today of that we're going to look at is he healed this man of blindness. And this is one of seven instances in the Gospels. We know seven people that were healed of blindness. There was probably a lot more than that, but there's seven stories that we know. And so in this story, you're going to see something very, very different because every other miracle of Jesus in the Bible was instantaneous was immediate and this story shows healing taking place in a progression or in a process now it was a very short short you know procession it was it didn't take long but there were two phases to the healing now i looked at a lot of commentaries on this and and, and took the collective wisdom of biblical scholars and theologians and there, there's a lot of guesswork on this now. A lot of people trying to figure out why would God do this? And, and some, of these, some of these guesses will come up in our talk today. But I think there's something more meaningful that I want you to understand than just trying to figure out exactly why it took place. I want you to understand the heart behind it. The heart behind this healing is this, is that Jesus Jesus cares for you individually, and Jesus wants to touch you individually. So let's jump into the story. It's Mark chapter 8, and starting with verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, and I want you to remember that city, Bethsaida, because it does have significance, I think, into how the story unfolds. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. I will say this, is that obviously this blind man didn't have the ability to go find Jesus on his own, but some people brought him. I'll say this, this isn't really what the sermon's about, but maybe some of you need to hear it. Sometimes we need our friends to bring us to Jesus. And sometimes we need to be that friend and bring a person to the healing power of Jesus. Verse 23, and he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village, and when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, did you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. So this is phase one of the healing. I, I see men, but they look like trees. And we can kind of imagine that, can't we? You've, those of us who wear glasses, if you've taken off your glasses and, or your contacts, and you, you can kind of know what's out there, but you certainly can't see it clearly. So that's phase one. So then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. So he spit first and then the second time he laid his eyes on his hands again and he opened his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. So here healing happened in two phases. I don't know all the reasons why it happened this way, but I think that God probably wanted us to know that, He has the power and the ability to heal instantly. And that happens a lot. But this is encouragement to us today that sometimes his healing is a process. Sometimes his healing is a progression. But I want you to understand this. Healing is is not choosing the right words. Healing is not reproducing a certain method. Healing is not attached to a certain denomination and it's not attached even to a certain doctrine because I think there is, you know, there's debate on certain healing doctrine. Doctrine is important, but nobody's got it figured out completely. That's, That's not what healing. Healing's not attached to certain people. I think, and I know from studying the scripture and walking with the Lord, that healing is a relationship. And if you don't get anything, any takeaway from today, I want you to, I want that to be your takeaway. Is healing is a relationship. Because what often happens is we'll hear a story on how somebody was healed and we'll try to reproduce the exact same circumstances. We think, well, if a person was healed at a particular church, then we better go to that church. Or if a person was healed at a certain time of day, maybe that time of day there's something magical about that time of day. Or if they were healed because they recited these types of phrases at a certain time. And so then we'll try to reproduce that. And here's the problem with that. When we begin to rely on methods and personalities, then it exalts the work of man and diminishes the character of God. Now, this is what I see from the scripture today. Jesus healed the man at Bethsaida in a different way than he did any other person. And if you begin to study healings, you're going to see this. Jesus does it different every time. He does. He heals a different way, in a different manner every time. He does this because, because he's relational. Jesus heals every person differently because he has a unique relationship with every person. So I want us to look through, this, through the lens of this scripture at some characteristics of Jesus, our healer and characteristics of who he is. And here's the first thing I want us to observe together is Jesus has a place. Jesus has a place. Now, before we start wondering now, well, where is that place? I don't know where your place is because the place Jesus has for you to be healed is a place different than where he has me. Jesus has a specific place for you. We know that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and so it is that God doesn't move through geographical locations, but I believe he has places assigned for you to encounter your healing. And this, this place could be at this church. Wouldn't that be great? Could be on this property. It's been dedicated to God, so that would be good. But it may be your vehicle. It may be your bedroom. maybe in a big crowd, or it may be when you're alone. But Jesus has a place for you. We go back to Mark chapter eight, the very first verse, 22 here, uh, 23, excuse me, and it says, and he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Now, this is, this is different. You know, Jesus had the ability to just speak and the man could have been healed. In fact, there was once when he spoke and somebody was healed in another, another part of the country. But in this instant, and this individual occurrence, he, he took the man by the hand and he led him out of the village. It's a beautiful word picture to think about Jesus not delegating this to one of the disciples. You, you really see the personal side of Jesus. You see the compassionate part, the loving part, that he took this blind man by the hand and he led him out of the village. Now, why did he do that? I guess we'll find out in heaven, but one theory that was really interesting has to do with the town of Bethsaida. We find out earlier in another gospel that Bethsaida was under the judgment of God. We look at Matthew chapter 11, verse, verse 21, Matthew 11. It says, woe to you, Corazon, woe to you, Bethsaida. Okay, this was, I might've called it something else a second ago, but you, you understand what, what I meant. This is the same village that, Math, that Mark 8 is is set in. Matthew eleven twenty one. 21. What do you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. Those are Gentile cities and sackcloth and ashes. You can, you can read the context to see that clearly Bethsaida was under the judgment of God. So maybe going back to verse 23, let's go back to Mark eight twenty three. When Jesus led him out of the village, maybe he was leading him out of a place of judgment. Now, here's a, here's a parallel thought here. When someone's been blind. And now they can see, take him away from a place under the judgment of God. So that's something, that's a a little extra credit for you. But here's the truth. Here's the truth that Jesus had a place for this man. That's why he led the man out of his place. He had the ability to heal him there, but he led this man to another place. Earlier in Mark, we find another really curious scripture. Mark chapter 6, starting with verse 3. Jesus is in his hometown of Nazareth, and he said, The people responded to his ministry in this manner. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? They were in Iwanas with us ten years ago. Okay, that wasn't in there. But and they took offense at him. I I remember preaching this message in the last couple of years, offended by Jesus. Took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. Now, here's this curious line. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hand on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. Now that scripture in verse five, I wouldn't build a whole doctrine on that. I would certainly look at it in the scope of scripture. And we know from scripture, we know through traditional Christianity, from the creeds that have been passed down to us through hundreds of years of faith, that Jesus was fully God and fully man. So I don't think it's accurate to say he was incapable, incapable of healing, but because of the people's unbelief, he chose for that not to be their place. That wasn't their place. Now, I just wanna say this, is that God has a place for you and we don't know exactly where that place is. You don't know if God's gonna heal you, you know, in the service, God's gonna heal you when you take a break at work or if God's gonna heal you in heaven because that's, that's a place too where his healing can come. But I will say this is that You want to be in a place where Jesus is there. Now, we have Christian brothers and sisters who will be in heaven with us and who love God, but they're wrong about something. They're wrong about this, the belief that signs and wonders stopped happening when the last apostle died. That's an erroneous doctrine. And so I'm gonna say to you this, If you want to be someone to receive God's healing, you might want to be at a place where Jesus is exalted, a place where Jesus is lifted up. Because if Jesus is diminished by a wrong belief system, that might keep you from being in the place God wants you to be. So for me personally, I want to be at a place. I want me personally, I want me and my wife and our marriage and our children to be at a place where we're with people who believe God can do the supernatural. He doesn't just move through natural means. He doesn't just move through reason. He doesn't just move through education. He moves in the supernatural. Supernatural. Beyond our senses, it's something we can't explain, except that it's biblical. It always needs to be biblical, but something that the rational mind can't explain. And I wanna be in that kind of place because if I'm in that type of place on a regular basis, then I'll find the place Jesus has for me. Jesus has a place for you. Jesus has a place. Jesus has a place, and also, here's the second thing, Jesus has a method. Jesus has a method. Now this is kind of the opposite of my introduction where I said healing. Healing is not healing is not a formula, healing is not a catchphrase, healing is not a denominational position. Healing is a method, and here's Jesus' method Jesus' method is to customize healing to you. That's his method. His method is to individualize it to you. His method is to treat you what, differently than anybody else because he knows you, he created you, he made you. And so it is now, he did something really, really strange here in Mark chapter eight. We'll look here at, I think it's verse 24 again, the second part. It says, he took the blind man by the hand and led him. Okay, we talked about that. And then he spit on his eyes. Have you have you let that soak in for a second? Is that not kind of a, a strange a strange scripture and... We imagine Jesus. I don't know if, I mean, he just he just spit a loogie in the guy's eyes. The, the King James calls it spittle. I don't know exactly what spittle is, but I don't want it in my eyes. I know that I don't want spittle in my eyes at all. He 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 took spittle. Now, in the ancient world, there was a belief that spittle or spit helped heal the eyes, and we obviously know. That wasn't the case. So what if Jesus customized his healing to increase the faith of this man? It's a little bit of conjecture here, but go with me. And use the spittle for phase one. It was not his will for me to have a healing line and spit in all of your eyes. How many can say amen to that? All right, all right, that's not sanitary. It's not scientific, but Jesus customized this for reasons we'll find out for sure in heaven, he took this man out of the village, he spit in his eyes, phase one, and then he laid hands on him the second time, phase two. He did that because he was in relationship with that man. Now, here, here's what I want you to understand. He knows you. Jesus knows your past. Jesus knows your future. Jesus knows your health records. Jesus knows your physical chemistry makeup and how certain things are more challenging to you than anybody else and he loves you and his healing often is a process it can happen instantaneously and we want that and believe that but for some of you he's choosing to make that healing come in a process and he does that because of his relationship with you here's the issue healing's never what we quite expect And I don't know a story that makes this more clear than in 2 Kings chapter five. The story, it's an Old Testament story about a man named Naaman and healing came to him in a completely unexpected way. 2 Kings chapter five, verse one, it says, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. Now look at this last line here. He was a mighty man of valor but he was a leper. Can, can I just say this is that with compassion that great people sometimes battle with sickness and sometimes battle with a disease. It's not a reflection of their character. It's not even a reflection of their health. Sometimes people who are very fit and eat well and have physical indicators of being healthy just contract a sickness or a disease because we live in a sinful world. And someday we'll live in a world where there is no sickness or disease. There there is nothing, there's nothing impure. But Naaman was a mighty man of valor, but but he was a leper. As the scripture unfolds, he encounters a girl who knows the real God, who understands healing, who tells him about healing. And for the sake of time, we'll skip on down to verse nine. She tells him about Elijah, excuse me, Elisha, And so Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times. Now, this is a great, great word for a leper. And your flesh shall be restored. Is that not good news? And you shall be clean. That's a word from the Lord. I mean, that's a word from the Lord I would like. But look at Naaman's response in verse 11. But Naaman was angry and went away. I mean, God gave him a word, you're gonna be healed and you're gonna be cleansed. But Naaman was angry and went went away saying, behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord. We'll stay on this slide for a second. And wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Do you know what Naaman was dealing with there? His own imagination his own expectations. The word from God had come to him. It just didn't come the way Naaman expected it to come. He didn't want to go down to the muddy river and dip himself. He just wanted to have the man of God do this. Do this. Wouldn't y'all like if I did that? Be nice. Healed. Healed. Now, that did not follow my ministry. Some of you might wish that did. Maybe someday it will. I don't know. But... But some of you wish, boy. I wish I had a pastor who did this, who did this. That's what Naaman wanted. I wish Elisha would look at what it says there. I thought I thought he would come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. But here's the deal: God customizes healing. That's his method, and he doesn't heal you the way you expect to be healed. That's why some of you are discouraged and some of you are disappointed because you think your healing's gonna come in the way that you've read about it in someone else's testimony. Or you think your healing's gonna come in the way you've heard about it. Or you think your healing's gonna come in the way you expect it to come. You maybe think your healing's gonna come at a certain place or by a certain kind of pastor or evangelist and there's a certain expectation and your heart is disappointed and your heart maybe you're angry at God, and you're so angry at God you can't even hear His word. I mean, the word came and said, "You're going to be clean. You're going to be clean, and here's how you're going to be clean." But Naaman said, "I thought, I thought that He would come out and stand and call upon the name of the Lord and wave His hand and cure the leper." And moving on in that narrative, it he goes on and, and says. Are not the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? So there's a little bit of regional bias here. There's a little bit of snobbery here. You know, I mean, if, you know, and let me ask you that. I mean, what if God God wants to heal you through a person you don't expect, through a people you don't expect? Could I not wash them and be clean? So he turned away went away in a rage. Let's say there for a second. Listen, to God's, glory, to God's glory and that from everything I know right now that I, I'm healthy. And so I wanna be very compassionate when I say this because those of you who are battling with sickness or a family member who's deeply sick, I don't understand what you're going through. So I don't wanna be prideful here, but I, I want to say something in love to you that it's very easy to get angry at God in your sickness and understand why you would feel that way. So I cast no judgment on you. I'm just giving you an observation both from me working with people and from the scripture here today and from Naaman's example. It's very easy to get angry at God when the healing doesn't come the way you want it. But what happens is when we let rage and anger overtake us then we don't hear God's word again. So I just want to Encourage you, lovingly encourage you. Stay sensitive to the Lord, and don't try your best not to get angry at Him. I know we have different phases when we're grieving, where we go through anger, but just just be sensitive, be aware of that. So now we, we continue the narrative. It says, but his servants came near and said to him, that is now some logic shows up. My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? It's a great word. Will you not do it? He has actually said to you, wash and be clean. So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. Healing happened, but it didn't happen the way Naaman expected it to. And Naaman had to get over his anger and his anger had blinded him to God's word. And his imagination and expectation had caused him not to do the very things God wanted him to do. See, Jesus is a healer and he has a place, but he has a method and his method is individualized. His method is customized. His method is relational and his method is often not what we expect. Here's the last thing I wanna share with you before we take communion in a few minutes is this, is that Jesus has a Restoration. Jesus had the restoration and that's the end of our Mark 8 story. We'll read the next passage and you'll see how the story ends. And he looked up and said, "I see men, but they look like trees walking." And then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. I love it. I love that type of God the God who completely heals, the God who came to our space and our time and our planet and physically healed people. And I affirm that. And I thank God for that. And I just want to say that if you're batting, battling something physically, I believe our God can heal you, can heal you while your feet are on this planet. I do believe that. But here, here is a reality Here's the reality I want you to understand. When Jesus healed these seven people of blindness in the Bible, it was not because he he was trying to be an optometrist. That's not why. You see, in the Old Testament, blindness was a metaphor for spiritual blindness. As Jesus came and he fulfilled the prophetic voice that said he will give sight to the blind, and he physically... He physically gave sight to blind people, but it wasn't about them seeing. It was a statement. It was telling the world that had been blinded to the ways of God and had been blinded to the kingdom of God, who were dead in religion and bound by the law and bound by the rules. This new rabbi says, I have a new teaching and my yoke is easy, and my burden is light, and I have come to set the captives free, and I have come to give sight to the blind. And that was not for the people who couldn't see. That was for us, just as much for us as them. And the physical manifestation of sight was a spiritual statement to the sight that he's bringing to the whole world. Now, this goes much bigger than this now because I want to talk to you about the healing that's gonna come to you. And I can say with all assurance that every single one of you are gonna be healed physically. Every single one of you will be healed physically. And some of you will be here on this earth. And some of you will be in heaven. Now that's not a cop out. That's not a weak answer. I refuse to say that's a lack of faith or lack of education or lack of understanding on my part. No, that is what our faith is built upon. Our faith is built upon this fact, that Jesus has brought his resurrection. He's brought his resurrection to this earth. And the seven men that were blind and could see again through the gospels, guess what? They're not alive anymore. So even though they received their sight, eventually they died the natural death. So the story wasn't them being able to see for another 40 years or another 50 years. That's part of the story. The bigger story is they got to see who the Messiah was. They got to see who Jesus was. They got to see who the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is. That's the story of the blind being able to see. So how does that apply to you and me? It applies through something called resurrection. Resurrection Sunday and Resurrection Day. On March 31st, we'll celebrate Easter we call it Resurrection Sunday, but Resurrection Sunday is not once a year. Resurrection Sunday is every Sunday. Early this morning, I sent an email to a dear saint, an older lady in the Lord, who had sent me an encouraging email. And as I wrote her back, I said, happy Resurrection Day. Why? Because today's Resurrection Day and tomorrow's Resurrection Day and Tuesday's Resurrection Day. That's the gospel message. Resurrection changes Everything resurrection changes the day resurrection changes our future resurrection has changed the planet so one of the most important chapters in the bible that's not the funnest to read at first but spend some time with it is first corinthians chapter 15 first corinthians chapter 15 and we're going to look at two portions of that today and i want i want you to be encouraged today that your healing is as sure as god's character and as sure as his resurrection 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting with verse 20. And, and I'm gonna use the Holman Christian Standard Bible because in my life, the Holman Christian and the ESV are like in this competition right now. I mean, I don't know which one's gonna win. They're both excellent versions. But I love the way the HCSV says it this way. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Who's that? Those people who have died. So Christ is the first fruits of everyone who has died. For since death came through a man, that's Adam, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. Verse 22 explains this more. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Next verse. But each one in his own order. Now here's the order of how the resurrection is going to happen. Christ, the first fruits. That's already happened. That's what we celebrate on Easter. We celebrate really every Sunday. That's why the Christian church started worshiping on Sunday. I think it's fine to worship on Saturday too, but that's the reason they started worshiping on Sunday. It's resurrection day. So Christ the firstfruits, afterward at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So here is the story. If you're sick today, if you're battling sickness, I'm praying with you and believing that God is going to touch you this day, this week, Our God is able, our God can, our God wants to. But his place and his method is his choosing. And we will stand in faith, believing in his character and believing who he is because his resurrection changed everything. And we know this is that outwardly we're wasting away, but inwardly we're being renewed every day. I put a tweet yesterday, uh, something in life that, I'm dealing with. As the older I get, the more dangerous it becomes for me to sneeze. I'm pulling muscles. My back's out of whack simply because I'm sneezing. As you get older, life gets more challenging. The outward body's decaying away. Everybody who was healed in the Gospels eventually died a natural death, but they didn't die eternally. That's the message of the resurrection: is that we are all. We are all gonna be resurrected again. Christ, the first fruits. And at his coming, those who have been asleep, those who have been dead in Christ will rise again with him under his submission, under his authority. And we will not have problems with sickness. We won't have problems with disease. We won't have problems with decay because the resurrection changes everything. Now see where this this, this becomes very clear to us. It's further on in, in verse I'm still in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42. So if it is with the resurrection of the dead, what is sown is perishable. That's our body. So when we die, what is put in the ground is perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. What is sown is weakness, in weakness is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. First Corinthians 15 talks about the centrality of the resurrection. If there is no resurrection, we have no faith. If there is no resurrection, we have no future. If there is no resurrection, We have no healing. Healing is connected to a person. His name is Jesus. It's not based upon you. It's based upon him. It's not based about chanting the same thing. Excuse me. It's not based on chanting the right thing. It's about knowing the right person. It's about staying in relationship with him and knowing that as surely as Jesus died on the cross, as surely as he, he, he rose again on the third day, as surely as he's coming back again, So it is that you and I will be healed. There'll come a day where we won't deal with sickness. There'll come a day when we don't deal with disease. There'll come a day when the new heavens and new earth have been established. There won't be hospitals. There won't be doctors. There won't be insurance companies. There won't be funeral homes. There won't be diseases. There won't be fundraisers trying to eradicate genetic diseases because the old order has passed and the new order has come. And that has come because of resurrection. We're gonna be resurrected with him and we're gonna reflect his glory and we will be healed. Many of us today, all of us in eternity in heaven. I'm gonna invite our ushers to begin to position themselves because we're gonna take communion this morning and we're gonna declare that he is alive, that he is resurrected. And when you understand the resurrection power of Jesus, then all of a sudden this element, this cracker we call bread and this juice, we know is, we, we symbolize his blood. It becomes more, more than just a symbol. he becomes life to us because of his resurrection power. And I, I wanna encourage you this day to not be discouraged if healing hasn't come to you the way you thought it would come. God does not love you any less than anybody else. Don't simply put the pressure on yourself as if healing ever came through human reason, as if there's a trick Come on, don't diminish God that way. As if we say the wrong thing, all of a sudden our God's not powerful anymore. Listen, that's too small a view of our God. Our God is making all things new, and our body is His, and our health is His. And some of us, we need to be like Naaman, we need to dip seven times, and and we do need to make lifestyle choices that are good and positive. Understand that. But there's often times when we're just victims of the sin that has been let loose in this world. And until now and the day that his kingdom comes, we'll keep believing that he is our healer. We'll believe that he has the power, that he has the ability, and we will pray for one another, and we will believe. And every time we're healed, we proclaim the kingdom of God and the resurrection of the Lord. You see, when your headache is healed, it's not about your headache, it's about his resurrection. When your sprained ankle feels better the next day, it's not just so you can have less pain when you walk, it's so you can proclaim his resurrection. When the cancer report comes back, and there was cancer and there's not cancer, it's not just for more years, it's so that you can have more years proclaiming our God is alive, he is risen from the dead. Resurrection power is not a theory, resurrection power is not a concept, it's alive and it is available for the entire world. And when we see him, we shall be like him, for we'll see him face to face. We'll see the glory. That's what healing is about, it's about relationship. It's gonna be different for you. It's gonna be customized for you. Jesus might spit in your eyes. Jesus might take you out of the place you thought you were gonna be. Jesus might do it in a way you didn't expect and say, go down to the dirty, muddy water and dip seven times. But he is going to heal you. He is going to heal you because that is what resurrection is about. If there is no resurrection, there is no healing. But resurrection power says our God is a healer And he is healing the world, and we're part of that story. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, as we